The first reading is from Samuel, chapter 3, verses 1 to 21. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were not widespread. At that time, Eli was high sight and began to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his room. The lamp of God had not yet gone out and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called, Samuel, Samuel. And he said, here I am, and ran to Eli, and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. The Lord called again, Samuel. Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel again a third time, and he got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, go lie down. And if he calls you, you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went down and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood there calling as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. Then the Lord said to Samuel, see, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make both ears of anyone who hears of it tingle. On that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I'm about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew, because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain him, them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be expiated by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay there until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. He said, here I am. Eli said, what was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. 
May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. Then he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. As Samuel grew up, the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was a trustworthy prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh. For the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. The second reading is from John chapter 10 verses 24 to 31. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I've told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name testify to me. But you do not believe, because you do not belong to my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. What my Father has given me is greater than all else, and no one can snatch it out of the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. The Jews took up stones again to stone him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Tommaso. Simon is now going to come and share a sermon with us, and we will then have a panel discussion afterwards. Thanks, Dawn. Uh, thank you, Tommaso. Let us pray. May the words of my lips and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. I don't know how much you know about the story of ancient Israel in the years leading up to the time of Samuel, but it does not make happy reading. To be honest, things could hardly be worse. Judges, the previous book, has ended with the community in chaos. A man called Micah, not the good one, has established an alternative worship system based around a carved metal statue. And the narrator comments in Judges 17 in despair, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Meanwhile, the Danites had taken over a peaceful town, stolen Micah's gods and his priest, and adopted his religion as their own. So one of the, one of the tribes had gone over to worshipping this statue. Then there is the horrific story 
of the all-night gang rape and abuse of one woman by some Benjaminite men from one of the other tribes, which led to a civil war that nearly wiped out the tribe of Benjamin. This is all in Judges 18, 19 and 20. The Benjaminites only preserved their tribe's existence by then abducting and raping two communities of women, 600 in all. This is Judges 21. We are in the worst excesses of the kind of situation that you hear about in parts of the world today where warlord leaders, you know, rule with impunity and their armies are unchecked. It really is hard to see how things could have got any worse for ancient Israel. The nation was falling apart and the system of judgeships that had been instituted to preserve the nation and adjudicate law and order had failed miserably. And with all of that chaos, you might well start to wonder how the community of Israel could possibly continue. Would it all just die out at this point? Would the promise of God made to Abraham that Abraham's descendants would be good news to all the nations of the world just go unfulfilled? Who would God send to deal with this God-awful mess? This is another one of those uh, endangered ancestor sagas that I was talking about a few weeks ago where the story of the people of Israel reaches a point of crisis, where it looks like the whole thing is going to fail. And there the book of Judges leaves the story. And you can imagine, as the people of Israel in later generations were retelling the story of their ancestors, uh, after a few late night once the kids have gone to bed stories of, uh, some of some of the awfulness, we then end up with it on a cliffhanger. Is this it for the nation of Israel? And of course, the answer is no, because these are the stories that Israel preserves of their history. And so as we enter the next book, we move from Judges to Samuel. Along comes this character, this young boy, this baby called Samuel, who becomes Israel's last judge and the first prophet of Israel since Moses. This child is sent into the darkness of the world as God's answer. Kind of has shades of what we might be coming to in Advent, doesn't it? Samuel was born at this pivotal moment in Israel's history. And his story represents Israel's transition from a loose system of judges to a unified monarchy. Now, those of us who these days sit somewhere at the Republican end of the political spectrum, may wonder if this was all such a good thing. And of course, if you follow the story of Israel's monarchy as it goes on further, well, they don't get it right either. So you can ask questions of this narrative about what's it trying to defend in setting Samuel up as the hero who transitions from judges to a monarchy. But from the writer's perspective, this is a good thing. So the writer of this book introduces the readers to Samuel by first introducing us to his mother, Hannah. 
And Hannah's story is the perfect segue for this transition because her story is diametrically opposed to the horrific stories of abuse and sexual objectification of women that we've had just a few chapters before in the book of Judges. And those of you who've been journeying with us through preaching at Bloomsbury over a number of years will remember we did a series about three years ago uh, called The Anti-Lectionary, where we did look at some of these really difficult stories from judges. And if you want to take a delve back into those, do go to our website, go to the sermon page, and you can find the links to those sermons. I'm not going to rehearse that today, but I want to note that those are important stories that we're kind of glossing over at the moment. But do go back to those if you want to. Because the Bible seldom tells female stories. And when it does, the women are often the victims or nameless or objectified. And yet in the opening chapters of 1 Samuel, we get Hannah's story. A faithful woman, a woman who has agency and is able to act, a woman with some choices. And with two whole chapters devoted to her. The reader is not only giving voice to one of the few really quite positive women's stories in the Old Testament, but the, reader, the writer is also setting up the story that both Hannah and her son Samuel are going to be significant characters in Israel's ongoing story. So in gratitude to God, Hannah leaves her son Samuel in the care of Eli the priest who, as we saw from the reading today, is going to help Samuel discern God's call on his life. And so we come to our passage for today in the narrative lectionary, the story of the call of Samuel, which came as a voice to him in the middle of the night. Three times Samuel mistook God's voice for Eli's before being advised by Eli that he might actually be hearing the word of God. Now, I don't know about you, but this kind of stuff doesn't happen to me very often. I have met plenty of Christians over the years who tell me that they hear God speaking to them regularly. I even knew one once who would go into the supermarket and stand there with her hand extended over the frozen peas and ask the Lord which packet she should pick up. To which my answer would be, well, if there's a choice between fair trade and not fair trade, the Lord is telling me to get the fair trade ones. But other than that, it probably doesn't matter too much. And the cynical part of me thinks that most of the time, what these people are hearing is the result of their own fertile imaginations combined with wishful thinking. There, I've said it. But I do think that God speaks. Honestly, I have to say yes to the question, do you think God speaks? Yes, I do think God speaks to us. I don't think it happens very often. And I certainly don't think it is a get out clause for us taking responsibility for our own decisions. But yes, I do think that God sometimes speaks into our lives. The clearest example of this that I can give you from my own experience was about 11 years ago when I was interviewed for a job. As the interview day progressed, I found myself increasingly uneasy. And at lunchtime, I took a few moments to sit quietly on my own. And I heard myself say to myself, 
quite clearly that this job will be a gag and a straitjacket. It was to have been a role working across churches, and I knew that if I was offered it and took it, I would be unable to speak my convictions and take action on issues that mattered to me. So I withdrew from the process towards the end of the day. In actual fact, they didn't appoint, and I was part of the interview panel for the next round and uh, was part of appointing the person who got the role next. I remain convinced that that was God's spirit nudging me into a course of action. And of course, what happened was that within a few months, I was then in conversations with Bloomsbury and the call to come and minister here was so strong and so compelling and such a contrast to that earlier experience. Some of you here were sat in that room with me down at the Swiss church when I first met the deacons here. And on the way back, I said to Liz, I found Liz and she said, what was it like? And I said, I've just spent the evening with my deacons. It was just so different. Doesn't always work that way, but it did on that occasion for me. And I share that because I do believe that we can hear the Spirit of God nudging us in our lives sometimes. But what if I hadn't listened? What if I hadn't withdrawn from the process? What if I'd just cracked on and they'd offered it to me and I'd said yes? Well, I am sure God would have worked with that decision too. I certainly do not subscribe to the idea that there is only one divine plan for our lives and that our job is to find it or else we've messed up. God is far more creative than that and far less controlling. I have met people who believe they have ruined the path for their lives because of decisions they have taken in the past and that God has washed God's hands of them. I never believe that is the case. Whatever it is we have done, God is always calling us on. Something I notice from the story of the call of Samuel is that it emphasises the role that others can play in the discernment of a person's call on their life. Without Eli's help, Samuel would not have responded as he did. And I wonder who it is that has helped you over the years discern the call of God on your life. And I'm not just thinking here about career choices, although for some of us it does boil down to that sometimes. But I'm thinking more broadly of God's call on you to be most fully the person you have been created to be. Jesus speaks of people experiencing life in all its fullness. And I think this is not so much about what we do as it is about who we are. We are called to be ourselves, most fully and most truly. And sometimes there have been narratives and voices within the Christian church that have stopped being people being who they are called to be most fully and most truly in themselves. I'm thinking of those who are part of the LGBTQ community who have been told by others that they cannot be themselves. And I am proud that at Bloomsbury we tell people 
that you can be who God has made you to be. But you will have your own stories, your own experiences. And I just want to take a moment to give thanks to those who in your life and in my life have spoken positive words from God about who we are called to be in ourselves. Sometimes we need others to help us here. To see who we are called to be, to see ourselves clearly, to hear the call of God on our lives. And yes, sometimes the call is to repent and resist those things that are distorting the work of God in us. Let us not minimise the destructive power of sin in our lives. And we are not called to sin. How can we hear the call of God in our lives amidst all the other demands and distractions that assail us? And a parallel question to sit alongside who has helped you is I wonder what your role is in helping others discern God's call in their lives. This is something we hold together. We do this for one another. How can you, how can I be Eli for others? Prompting them to listen attentively and respond to the whisper of the spirit in their life. Can we develop the ears to hear and the eyes to see where God is active and moving in the world? Can we learn to discern the mission of God who is already at work in the world by the Spirit? And can we find the courage to respond to the invitation to join God's mission? The whisper in the night, speak Lord, your servant is listening. That song we sang together uh, a few minutes ago, uh, the kind of fusion of the call of Samuel and the call of Isaiah, is one that is often used at induction services, and it's not hard to see why. Here I am, Lord. Is it I, Lord? I've heard you calling in the night. I will go, Lord, if you lead me. I will hold your people in my heart. But in the story of Samuel's call, the intensity of the nighttime response to God's voice brought him swiftly back down to earth. We don't often go on and read the second half of 1 Samuel chapter 3. We usually stop at here I am, Lord, I, your servant is listening. It gets pretty rough pretty quickly, doesn't it? The thing is, the call of God is not always to a life of ease beside still waters. Sometimes it is a steep and rugged pathway. And Samuel's first commission was to deliver a message of judgment to his mentor. The innocent optimism and trust of here I am, Lord, runs straight up against the backdrop of corruption, lawlessness and godlessness that had taken hold in the land at that time. As we've already heard, Israel was in turmoil and the people were simply doing whatever was right in their own eyes. And this included Eli's sons, who had a role within the nation as leaders and priests. Just listen to what they've been getting up to. A few verses from uh, 1 Samuel chapter 2. Now the sons of Eli were scoundrels. They had no regard for the Lord or the duties of the priests of the people. When anyone offered sacrifice, the priest's servant would come. 
While the meat was boiling, with a three-pronged fork in his hand, he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, and all that the fork brought out, the priest would take for himself. This is what Eli's sons were doing. They were stealing from the offertory plate. <laughs> this is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Now, Eli was very old, and he heard all that his sons were doing to all Israel, and how they lay with women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He said to them, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all these people, but they would not listen to the voice of their father. Eli's sons were guilty of the age-old sins of money, sex, and power. They were betraying the trust placed in them as leaders and abusing their position for their own pleasure and gain. It was, it seems, ever thus. And what Samuel discovers as an, an innocent young boy serving in the house of God is that God's tolerance for corrupt leadership is not unending. God will not sit by forever whilst the innocent are abused and extorted. But God's action in judgment on such evil takes place through the lives of those who hear the call of God and respond with faithfulness. Sometimes the role of the faithful is to stand up and name the evil in the land and to take a stand against it. This is not the same thing as Christian moralizing, nor is it a holier-than-thou attitude towards others. But when people are abusing others, God's people do have a role in highlighting the problem and in taking action to change it which is why the scandals that beset church leadership are so damaging. If the people of God fail to safeguard the vulnerable in their own communities, and if the leaders of churches abuse their positions of power and trust, then the mission of God to bring healing to the world is profoundly damaged. This is why Samuel is called to take a stand and proclaim God's judgment against the sons of Eli. Having a famous and godly father is in the end no get-out clause, and they must answer for their own abuse of power. The recent report on church sexual abuse of minors in France makes grim reading. With over 218,000 children, mostly boys, having been sexually abused since 1950. It speaks of a church culture that tolerated and facilitated such actions. But in this country, too, we have our ecclesial sins, from cases of clergy child abuse in all denominations to the systemic abuse of the LGBTQ community through widespread prejudice and enforced conversion therapy. And it is true today, as it was in ancient Israel, that God's judgment is against those who misuse their positions of trust and power, and that God calls God's people to speak up and challenge such abuse. But the interesting thing from the lesson of the story of Samuel is that God doesn't write off the idea of leadership. Sometimes I hear people say that all politicians are as bad as each other or that all clergy are corrupt and in it for their own gain. And of course it isn't true. Not all leaders are the same, but they are all damaged by those who abuse their position. 
So Samuel doesn't just proclaim judgment on the abuse that marks the end of the time of the judges. He also anoints both Saul and then David as Israel's kings. Sometimes reform is needed. And whether it's Martin Luther challenging the selling of indulgences at the time of the Reformation, or Dr. Martin Luther King challenging the racism of his society and his church. Sometimes those who use their leadership positions to perpetuate evil and the systems that facilitate them need to be broken down under the acts of God's prophetic judgment. But God continues to call people to leadership and to service. God continues to call people to life in all its fullness and to confront all that demeans and distorts the image of God in each precious human being. And so Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. So today, can you hear the call on your life? The call to join with God in God's mission to the world, to draw all people and all things into the eternal embrace of divine love. The call to challenge evil, to speak up against oppression, to work tirelessly for justice, both within and beyond the walls of the church. The call to follow Jesus wherever that path leads. The call to be most fully and most truly the person you were created to be. A few moments of silence now as we respond. I'd like to invite up those that are going to be part of this morning's panel conversation. I believe we're going to have Tommaso joining us online as well. There were a couple of things I think for me that stood out from that. Um, firstly, when you talked about misunderstanding God's word and how to live out as being fully ourselves, um, it reminded me of when I gave up art as a much younger person now. Um, because I felt that it was a selfish endeavour, that I was supposed to be doing something that was going to change the world in a positive way. Um, and it has only been in the later years I've kind of realised that actually it's a gift. That I'm, Yes, I was being called to ministry rather than to be an illustrator, but that doesn't mean that I should have thrown away the paintbrush. Um, but, but it also then, those thoughts then led me to a question which is how do we know what God's voice is and what is our own imagination slash prejudice slash wishful thinking? And I think that's the really difficult question to go away from this. Like, how do we discern those differences? I'm wondering whether Nigel or Liz have any thoughts to share this morning. I'm hoping you do. Or Tommaso. Liz, do you want to go first? Um, I think... I've always kind of struggled with the, the either Lord of the Sea or the Sky, and, and I guess because I had to go through the whole um, uh, uh, 
training to be to, to be a minister for, with Simon. Um, uh, I heard that so many times and went to so many induction services. And um, I think that certainly this passage again today made me realise that actually that the whole subject of calling can be misused. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I think that can be quite abusive to people mm-hmm. in, in a sense. In that, in the, I think everyone wants to be special. And uh, the idea of calling within a church can mean that you end up uh, feeling you're not special unless you're kind of in a particular role. Um, so I think that that's kind of one point. And I, I really liked sort of the, the, what Simon said about um, that, that God is always calling us and that um, God is more creative and, and that actually we're being called to be more fully, you know, who, who we should be. Um, and I think they're really important things that everyone needs to take away because I think the subject of calling and looking at something like Samuel and, and especially if someone is thinking about what to do for a career um, or what to do for, a, you know, and where God fits into their life, it can be a really tricky one. And that would be my second point that I take away from this is, is just how complex this is. And the fact that actually I really like the fact that Samuel didn't um, know it was God for like three, you know, until the third time. And um, that that kind of trying to discern something and, and then still needing somebody to tell you and, and somebody to point it out to you. Um, this stuff is really difficult. I think we spend our whole of our lives trying to work out who we should be, mm. you know, it, trying to be who you, sh- you, you fully should be more fully who you should be is actually a really difficult task. And it's a task of, of kind of what life is all about. Um, but I, I wrote down something from the New Testament reading, which was um, the, I felt really sorry for the, um, the Jews at the, at the beginning, because they say, tell us plainly, Jesus. <laughs> and the amount of times we all really love to be told plainly about something. And, uh, and then Jesus is like, well, my sheep hear my voice. And I think one of our tasks is to learn to listen and learn increasingly how to listen. And that that can be really difficult, um, but that is sort of what we're called to do: is to just learn to listen for the voice of God in all different circumstances. Yeah, that's right. Thank you, Liz. I think you're right. I think the, the call of God is something that all of us have, and it is a constant calling forward, a constant calling to, as Simon put it, be more ourselves, to be fully ourselves, whatever that looks like. Um, it, it makes me think of my mother, who felt called to be the church administrator, and then now feels called to be a grandmother. And that, that, that is an ever-changing thing, it's an ever-shifting um, image or idea that we are constantly striving for, for the whole of our lives. And I'm pretty sure that we probably won't ever get to the final picture, as it were. Nigel? Uh, yeah, I'd like to pick up on this idea of God's call and, and hearing God's call and responding to it in other people. When Simon talked about how, you know, other people may have instrumental in helping us realize God call like Eli was for Samuel and then thinking about how are we at that you know we've got a church meeting next week so one day a long time ago in a church somewhere God spoke to someone and someone got up and said do you know what it isn't right that women are kept from leadership that women are kept from ministry and someone had to listen to that person And I thought, what if in our church meeting next week, God spoke to someone and they stood up and said something? Am I ready to hear what God is saying through someone else? Am I brave enough to think about it and to examine it? 
I'd like to think if I was at that church meeting, I'd have said, yes, amen, speak it, brother. But I, I, I don't know, maybe I'd have thought, women in ministry, are you crazy? It would have sounded crazy the first time someone said it, maybe. And so I, I think there's a challenge to us, isn't there? Are we, not only are we listening to ourselves, think, sometimes thinking about God's call and God's speaking can become very internalised. Actually, it should be more externalised. Are we hearing God's call on other people? Are we hearing God's call on us as a community? Which is a bit scary, to be honest. I think there's a real question there of whose voices are we listening to? Are we listening to the voices that sound like us, that say the same things that we do? Or are we actually listening to those voices that are challenging, that do speak truth to power or to our power? Tommaso, I'm gonna come to you now. Yeah, I'll, I'll be very quick, but uh, I mean, one thing that, that struck me about uh, both the story and, and the comments, uh, with, with whom I entirely agree, by the way, um, is, is how important is like this process of research, but also perhaps the, the kind of serenity that can come from embracing God and doing the right thing when once we realize uh, what the right thing is. Uh, there's a sense of inner peace and perhaps sometimes even liberation when we stop thinking about the possible bad consequences for our career or our life and, 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 and try to do the right thing at the right time. Um, and, and in that sense, I entirely agree. It takes courage um, to do that um, because you know, you may be rejected, you may suffer material, psychological uh, losses and, you know, be an outcast. But at the same time, I, I strongly believe that, um, as in the story of Samuel and Heli, those who are able to, you know, make that step, uh, then discover a sense of inner peace and, and freedom that others may, may struggle to experience and that's really uh, you know, a huge conquest it's it's a huge step forward uh, towards you know a, a deeper spiritual uh, life thank you Tomasa. i think there's courage needs to be exhibited at each point in each that was made this morning encourage and listening courage and hearing perhaps difficult words courage in stepping out into whatever call it is I think, yeah, courage is definitely something that we're going to need going forward as a community and as individuals. Um, I, I can't actually see, my eyes are not good enough to see the, the chat, but if there were any comments that would be worth sharing, please could I ask someone to do it? Can you just scroll up so we can see the one above Hazel? Hazel says, I agree the faith community can be important in helping and supporting and all in discerning their call. Uh, and Jeff says, is the call of God towards a simple life or to engage deeply in the complexities? And also asks, here I am or here we are. So thank you for those comments. Uh, I would people... say with Jeff, the answer is yes. It is to live simply and to get involved in the complexity of life. That's my gut reaction to that comment there. Thank you to this morning's um, contributions in conversation and in comments online. Dear Lord, we pray for our church here in Bloomsbury. 
we remember that Jesus' ministry on earth centered on relationships. Help us not to neglect meeting together regularly, to share honestly in our joys and our difficulties, and to be an active part of the body of Christ in this location. We pray for members of our congregation who are coping with illness, with worry, and with changed circumstances. Grant them a sense of your peace. We pray for refugees in so many parts of the world, anxious for a place of peace, acceptance, and security. And we pray for those who live in areas of the world where totalitarian regimes or corrupt regimes preclude questioning and differences of opinion. We pray that the government in this country might be able to empathize with people who are anxious about paying their bills this winter. And we think too of the family and friends of Sir David Amos. And as the media reveal the level of abuse MPs are subjected to, we pray for a kinder and more tolerant society. Lord, we confess that we are not always the people you call us to be. We're often guilty of laziness, complacency, and a fear of other people who are different from us. In the light of our church meeting next week, help us like Samuel to listen to God individually, collectively, and with regard to the future of our church. Give us the grace to welcome all in your name. Amen. Let us say together the grace. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Go in peace in this week. <laughs>